0: Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Ada, And I'm Thibaut. Every two weeks, we interview top leaders, experts and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities and close deals faster. We are on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to submit your questions and guest suggestions, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro month subscription, where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps, and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io/tsc. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. So hi, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Today, I'm receiving uh, Tom Castle from Outreach. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, really good, actually. Yeah, we've just had our end of quarter, so we're now mad planning Q3 for us. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. That's that's pretty cool. So, um, Tom, can you maybe tell, tell us a bit more about you, who you are, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, just tell us more about you, basically.
1: Of course, yeah. Well, for as long as I can remember, now I've been working with American software companies. Uh, more recently, have been involved in launching American software companies into Europe. Mm-hmm. I think Outreach is my third or fourth. Uh, this one is crazy exciting because of the the pace at which Outreach is growing, and uh, yeah, as it stands now, I'm the exec in region uh, responsible for our international growth.
0: Okay, so um, I'm, I'm really curious, like, uh, uh, you have this experience like selling, uh, you know, building organizations in EMEA from, uh, from the US. It's a vast topic, a lot of, uh, of people are, are trying to do that. So uh, do you have some kind of, uh, I don't know, of guiding principles that you follow when you're doing that?
1: <laughs> uh, actually, each time I've done it, I've done it slightly differently. I'm, I'm still wondering whether I found the magic formula. Um, But let's try and highlight three things from this time around. So um, number one, guiding principle for launching a US software company into Europe is to not build a sales office, but to be deliberate about building a region. The difference there is uh, you're not just hiring commercial sales resources, you're uh, hiring support professional services, and and all of the post-sale capabilities. Uh, In fact, here at Outreach, our first hires were the support people. And the reason that's important is it's very rare for a US software company to come into Europe and to not already have existing customers. Mm -hmm. Those customers are likely to have some frustrations just purely around time zones, Uh, the access to those expert resources where they're located geographically and, as I say, from a time zone standpoint. So number one is uh, build a region, don't build a sales office. Number two for me would be uh, as a leader uh, in region, we uh, took the deliberate choice that um, uh, initially my responsibility would purely be sales. So I wouldn't take on a general manager position. That's critical because in the early days, it's easy not to be distracted by everything else, marketing and and PR and HR and finance and what have you. And uh, ultimately the success of a venture like this is to deliver predictable and fast growth revenue and being distracted by those other functions is not, uh, not optimal. So as it stands today, all of those uh, other complementary divisions report up through their lines of business, and whilst there is intense coordination, I don't have the um, uh, the baggage, if you will, of of making sure that everything is working together perfectly. All right. So that's number two. Is I suppose is focus. The fact is the number is king when you're when you're in a region, and number three is design the business uh, to take advantage of a meritocracy so let me unpack that for a second um, what we did when we launched in region was uh, we really lent in to the sdr organization uh, for two reasons one obviously to to jumpstart and accelerate pipeline uh, but two is to build a talent pool of folks that we could rely on to fill um, you know, the individual contributor positions across the business as we grew up. So when we were hiring those people, oftentimes uh, the majority of our interview wasn't about whether we thought there would be a great SDR. It's We were hiring them for their next role, whether that be pre-sales, junior marketing, customer success, support, or sales or, or an SDR leadership role. So it's hiring talent, that can grow with you rather than constantly having to bring more people in, which can put your culture and
0: also kind of the ethos of the business under pressure. Okay. okay, I see that. that's, that's really interesting because uh, I really like the point where you say build a, 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 an office like a region, not like a sales office. I think yeah. that's very interesting because most of the time, people are actually building a sales office. I've experienced this myself and uh, everything follows. And as you said, you know, like you have this, um, I used to work for a company that was headquartered in Redwood City. So nine hours time difference with Berlin sales office. And we had this impression to be, oh, that's the guys in Europe. You know, that's the people in EMEA mm-hmm. who are selling and, you know, they're just very secondary to our business. And uh, and so it felt really kind of bad on the culture. And uh, yeah, that, that was uh, an interesting thing. So. That's a, a very, a very nice point. And for how long have you, have you been like, um, you know, like at outreach in, in, in EMEA? What's the duration for now? Uh, I joined in, wow. Uh, I think it was end
1: of October, 2019. Okay. okay. So, um, so yeah, when I joined, as I said, there were already two support people who started just before me, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. So I was the third one in region. And I think we've had nine new starters this week. So I think we're now at, 70 people okay well so crazy crazy growth. and yeah. as i say uh, probably best part of 40 45 percent of those folks don't carry a quota they're there to support our customers when we're bringing them on and bringing them live
0: yeah okay okay well that's impressive and and so i guess you know going from this number like three people to almost 70 and i don't know how much in a few months what are the typical challenges you're you're facing
1: <laughs> uh, keeping up with that um, I'll tell you an interesting story uh, part of um, me coming on board with outreach uh, they wanted me to write a business plan for the region and uh, so I you know drew on all of my experience and said, you know this is how many people we need and the plan had us at 15 people by the end of last year and I remember reading that uh that business plan about four months in when we were already knocking on 20 people wondering what idiot wrote that plan <laughs> and and even at the time when I was writing it some of the feedback was look okay you know we're, we're really keen on investing in the region but let's not get ahead of ourselves Let's you know build from success and um yeah I mean when you look back over the last uh you know best part of what twenty odd months, I guess, since I joined. Uh, I'd never imagined that the team has been able to execute, and that the demand in the market was was such. So, therefore, the biggest challenge is twofold. One is you know, you can't see round corners. You know, we've had a pandemic that we've gone through, and and everything that that's thrown at us. Uh, so, having a plan is good, but uh, being able to react in the moment. And, um, you know, to being able to take advantage of that demand is, is critical. And uh, the final one on that is, um, you know, if you hire good people, uh, a lot of these things, you know, end up being minuscule problems rather than major ones. So, you know, just kind of hire the right people and hire ahead. Um, you know, hiring is uh, today here in the UK, really tough. It's yeah. a candidate's market. Uh, there's just an explosion of opportunity, yeah. And so now, as as vendors in the space, when I'm speaking with my peers, you know, a number of them are you know are struggling to attract quality talent and and even to get people to interviews and and what have you. Um, fortunately, we haven't had so much of that. But uh, but I'm definitely, you know, seeing um, uh, you know just seeing the market explode at the moment, which is great.
0: Why do you think you have uh, in UK like difficulties hiring sales talent? So there's, um, uh, we can go off on a, a bit of a
1: tangent here. I, I, I still would advocate that not many people at university uh, have it. And, you know, if they if they are, you know, if they wanted to project out five years, what do they want to be? I don't think many people aspire to being a salesperson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, That's something that I'm on a personal crusade to change, uh, along with a number of other sales leaders here in the UK, especially for technology companies, uh, and raising the bar on the professionalism Mm -hmm. of uh, of this career path, uh, the respect that uh, that a role like this should have. Because ultimately, you know what, nothing happens in business without somebody buying something. Mm -hmm. Your change only comes about through, um, you know, people, process, technology, oftentimes it's buying some kind of technology or, or what have you. And it's incumbent upon the sales industry uh, to facilitate that process in a manner that, uh, you know, is, is optimized, doesn't drag out the process, uh, you know, is honest and, uh, and professional all the way through the process. And so, yeah, so, there's a there's a there's a, a supply challenge in terms of, you know, there's not people knocking on the door or wanting to be salespeople. And then there's uh, as a result of that, then there's uh, there's a quality challenge as well is finding, uh, you know, people who are who have the potential uh, to be up to
0: the mark. Yeah. And yeah okay and I, like uh yeah because i mean for me like being in, in inside like uh, an insider my wife is also an insider you see what like especially tech sales when you're selling online you see what you what kind of life you can you can provide um like you you know i think it's really about educating the market like in germany for example it's even harder than in uk because mm. uh you know what potentially in uk if you find someone who's very you know like just who has a very international background coming from any other location from the US, you could hire them in Germany. They have to speak perfect German. Selling in Germany is very cultural too. And so yeah. finding people to actually uh, do the job is insanely complicated. And actually um, it's very interesting because I met a head of sales uh, who's in Karlsruhe. So not like the dream city you would, think, uh, you would think of when you think about Germany. And he's really mm. good at hiring people like new SDRs who have good potential. Um, simply because he actually, actually he he built partnerships with universities, and uh, I think that's 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 one of the of the solutions I'm interviewing in the in the podcast soon. Um, I think it's it's yeah it's really this thing that people sometimes like in tech they they expect like sales leader that people will just jump on the jobs because it's tech, but there's the, all this education and uh, and all the potential in sales that is uh, important to talk about. So yeah, mm. that's my view on that. Yeah, and uh, and I share it wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, and I'm really curious to know about, uh, like, not so much doing it, but organizing sales development in EMEA. So uh, what's your experience with that? Like, what, what's different, let's say, from the U.S. Uh, in terms of sales development? And how do you organize it? Yeah, so that's... Uh...
1: Two things to say on that. So I think there is, the first one is, uh, there is a distinct uh, difference in approach to selling within North America and as it pertains to Europe. And without oversimplifying that, uh, there is a tendency in the US to sell more about the benefits and the virtue of a particular product or service and to inspire people by what the future could look like were they to do that, yeah? And that, to me, where, I, where I'm drawn towards when I think about that is kind of that entrepreneurial spirit which is built into the psyche, typically of, of you know, kind of most commercially orientated you know, Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in Europe, um, there is a strong stability preference And the stability preference is, you know, better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't or, you know, um, uh, how we're doing it currently is is good enough. There's other areas to look at. And so the desire and the the constant desire to change and to improve isn't necessarily there. So uh, without getting uh, too technical in in an area that you and I are very comfortable in, so the proactive selling model, the towards and away messaging. So. For me, uh, people in Europe are more likely to buy an aspirin or, uh, or a paracetamol mm-hmm. to fix a pain than they are to start taking vitamins uh, to not have a headache in the future, if that makes sense. Whereas in the U.S., it's more of the, the selling the virtues of a healthy lifestyle and vitamins and, and what have you would be more of the approach. So that's required quite a significant rewrite and a different form of focus in terms of business development, Mm -hmm. addressing the things you can't get, won't get, shouldn't do within your current environment. And then um, the second side of that for me is more to do kind of, I guess, with outreach, which is, um, you know, sales engagement as a marketplace is, is the awareness of that in North America is a lot higher than it is in Europe. And so oftentimes, we're not dealing with a demand. We're actually starting off the process by educating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, And so that does require a little bit more investment early on in the process, uh, whereas you wouldn't necessarily have that in North America.
0: Okay. Did, did I explain that well? That was amazing. I love the two points yeah. where you talk about being uh, an aspirin over being a vitamin. I love this thing. It comes from... Yeah. It. Uh, this is like everything I know, I face, I train people on. You start like conversations with problems in Europe. And yeah. usually uh, there's a lot of problems. So it's easy to to kind of like have these conversations going. Whereas, as you said in the US, people tend to be um, if there's a way to optimize to make it better, you can that can also work. And sure. um, and also this thing where you said like if you're a US company, you will you will work on the national market, you will educate this market, invest heavily in marketing. And whenever you're going into Europe, uh that may, you know, like, kind of ha- how to say, like, that may go over and, and people will see it maybe in UK, maybe like the early adopters in other nations will also get it. But then mm. you can say, hey, we're outreach or, you know, like for me was a company called Applause, which was a crowd testing company from Boston, came to France. Right. And they were like, what is Applause? You know, like, what is mm. that? Had not even a clue what crowd testing was, so it was focused yeah. education, focus actually on here's a problem, here's a potential solution, and you know like uh, here's how you fix it, and then people say, oh yeah, I got this problem, and there's this solution, and then they get it. Whereas as you said in, in the US, it's more you're later in the buyer's journey basically, and uh, the conversation we have as sales people is often very different. So that's mm. I really like these two points. Yeah, good. Thank you. And what about the, because you're actually in the future, you're pushing the future of sales. What do you see? I don't know, the next uh, five, 10 years, what do you think sales will be? Will be?
1: Oh, oh, wow. Uh, permission to speak freely. <laughs> so uh, so what do I, uh, I'm going to take my glasses off for this. So, um, so what do I see? Uh, so I'm pretty impassioned about this. So if we break, the sales cycle down into two halves. So, to me, um, two sides to selling. One is the emotional sell, so that's getting somebody to the point at which they want to make a, a decision to do something, and then you have the rational sell, which is the practical side of facilitating that buying process.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, to use an example, I, I had one uh, recently. Uh, well, I say recently, about a year or so ago, went into a golf shop. And they had one of these simulators at the back where you could kind of hit golf balls to it. And uh, they picked a driver out for me. And and I hit this driver. Uh, and I, I kid you not, this thing was going like 25, 30 yards further than I'd ever hit a drive before in my life. Um, the emotional sell is complete. I, I'm sold. I'm, I don't even care what the price is. You know, to be able to hit it further than everybody I play with, uh, that's just, there's not a price for that yeah uh, and then the rational part of it came which was massively complicated you know, what what loft do i need do i need an oversized driver or a standard size driver what shaft did i need what grips am i going to have on it and then cuz i've bought the driver did i need to have the 3 wood that went with it and the fairway wood and uh, and then now i've got these new shafts actually should i be getting my irons changed with you know a shaft that matches my swing type I got super complicated. Uh, but guess what? They were really expert at guiding me through that process.
0: Yeah.
1: And of course, I ended up spending way more money than I expected to. <laughs> but based off that emotional purchase. Yeah. And so the, the, the point at which that happens is uh, you get somebody to a point where they realize that doing nothing is the worst possible decision that they could make. Yeah, And therefore now they're they're ready to implement a change and to go through it because change is tough, but they're willing to go through that to come out the other side with with a different outcome. All right. Now, where I see sales changing today, kind of typically in the European market at best, an SDR or a business development organization is booking meetings. literally the 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 earliest stage in that sales cycle and what we're implementing here at outreach uh, and i'm encouraging us to push that envelope is the mantra for the sdrs is not to book a meeting is to start an opportunity and what they're doing is they're they're getting a lot further down that journey of having somebody come to the realization that doing nothing is the worst possible decision they could make And then the sales rep is continuing that journey in the initial meeting and discovery phase. And then the vast majority of the process is then sat in that rational buying process, helping them to actually complete the purchase. Mm -hmm. My vision is that I can see in the next three to five years that the SDR of today will effectively own the entire process through to the emotional decision being made. They will become experts in discovery, in, in finding, you know, uh, the reasons for change and getting somebody to that moment. Yeah. And, uh, and when they reach that moment, I see the salespeople of today becoming more like project managers or program managers and being experts in guiding people through the, the technological, the legal Uh, the security kind of conversations and the commercials to have somebody be able to buy. Because I, if I can have a last, last point on it, what I'm, what I'm seeing post pandemic world is the time to emotional decision has actually compressed significantly because of things like zoom. We don't, we're able to meet more people more regularly, but the buying process um, has either the same, so it's still a matter of six to eight weeks. Um, uh, and oftentimes it's getting slightly longer because people are, because there's more decisions, more emotional decisions being made quicker. There's more rigor being put into the post-sale process. And so uh, there is a higher bar and a high level of kind of that programmatical expertise required. Okay. So, yeah, in summary, I see the SDRs of today effectively becoming the owners of the emotional cell, and the sales reps of today becoming uh, more professional program managers in terms of helping people to, to, to you know, to buy yeah. and yeah. to go through those first few months of onboarding and and really realizing the value they were hoping for from, from the change and the outcomes they were looking for.
0: Okay. I really like that. So, I mean, uh, for me, in the future that I don't want to be an SDR, because uh, I guess the... Uh, uh, your job is to do this transfer of ownership, like you said. You know where you went from. Hey, I, I know this this kind of driver will help me hit I don't know a few meters yeah. more than others. And then you go, yeah. you do it, and then you're like, okay, I really do it, and then you just go crazy, and uh, and you get this emotional yeah. thing happening. And That's when you kind of like hand it over to the more rational like seller who will give you all the instruct like the indications. So I really mm-hmm. like that. So do you think SDRs? And- more money than for their job
1: uh absolutely yeah i yeah i mean um uh, you know even now you know our the top earning sdrs here at outreach last year were earning well north of a hundred thousand and uh i'm worth every single penny of it
0: yeah okay well that's pretty good and uh so, so you 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 so that's very interesting because then the skills you, you need like often the AE is like you know considered to be the closer and then they work a lot with the uh, solution engineer to kind of build the the, the, the deal. Um, do you think like the account executive of tomorrow will be very different than in terms of skills than the, the account executive of today?
1: Yeah, I do. If, I, again, there's there are some shifting. Elements. So just to address, I think your first point, which is the skills of the SDR are very different. Um, I would say, oftentimes, with the right training and support, uh, these are very accessible skills. And the other thing I would venture on that side of things, one of the one of the biggest issues for a well tenured sales rep is they have hundreds of conversations with customers, and they've probably signed numerous deals, and what they'll do is they'll hear a a high level pain or challenge that somebody is facing and they'll jump to a conclusion in terms of how a solution will address that. And when they do that, what you typically see is a lot of do nothing deals because you haven't listened to the customer appropriately. And, and you haven't then addressed how your solution meets their deep needs, not just their superficial needs. Yeah. And you haven't helped them discover it either. Uh, I would advocate that actually that through uh, a lack of experience and knowledge and, and the innocence in those early years of selling actually lends itself more to doing great deep discovery through their natural curiosity, their desire to learn and what have you, than somebody who's necessarily been doing it time and time again, right? Um, That said, that's not diminishing away from the traditional A role. I do see that actually expanding. If you look at fast-growing software companies, which is obviously where my expertise is, in the SaaS industry, uh, typically the, I think, Yako uh, from Winning by Design, one of his quotes is, I think the fastest growing software companies in the world normally acquire somewhere between 9 and 15% of the lifetime value of a customer in that initial transaction. So the way solutions are designed and the way customers want to buy is they want to start with an area and then build from that success rather than some multi-million dollar transaction from day one. Yeah, it's just not the way the world buys now. So, if if that initial transaction is uh, is not significant, then that begs the question: Well, okay, how do how do I accelerate the uh, you know the acquisition of more of your particular product or service in a short enough time frame? And that's where that program management, project management kind of skill set, but also more of an account management mindset. Where we're myopically focused on the value that the customer is getting, and constantly tying uh, the deliverables of, of a solution against the outcomes of the customer, uh, and to really optimize that over so the first twelve months of that relationship, yeah. and that's where I see uh, the AEs of tomorrow spending their time is is maximizing the the lifetime value of a customer, but particularly in that first year of the relationship.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's uh, I, I've never seen it this way where you separate the discovery, you know, this kind of deep emotional discovery and the uh, let's say the the project or like the, the way you're going to build a solution. And uh, I think just really makes total sense now that you say, you say it, it's kind of like I see everything going in this direction. I also see like um, SDR being more vocal, you know, like what I find always funny is, you know, people who start, let's say, on LinkedIn and they say, calling is dead or they start debating about yeah. like obviously goal calling is not dead it's for not for everyone it's for some people you know it's like it's just like stop with this old debate start working and thinking of other things and i think mm-hmm. this you know of the role of the sdr is expanding the role of the a is changing and uh i think that's that's very interesting and that makes sales as a profession way more interesting for uh you know as a career because it's not just like you're just not going to do like door to door selling or it's not it's not going to be selling like it used to be it's just a way more complex and gratifying profession so i think that's that's very exciting
1: so well, i'm glad you like it sometimes i think i'm just a mad professor
0: sat in an office
1: <laughs> coming up with ridiculous ideas so yeah
0: i like i like that and, and i mean it's recorded so everyone will be able to tell you if they like like it or not um, I'm curious to know how, how is Outreach positioned into this future? What's, the, what's coming for Outreach for that?
1: Well, you know, uh, on, a, on a personal level, what I remember having a conversation many years ago. Uh, so I used to work at Oracle in the CRM business. And, and the guy who headed that up, um, he was a Brit working in America. But when he used to come across to the UK, he liked real ales, uh, as do I. So I used to take him around some of the more traditional pubs in London. And there's me as a rep and this executive of Oracle kind of having a meeting of minds, which was awesome. Learned so much. And and we talked about the panacea of of CRM then was uh, what he framed as byproduct CRM. Just as a byproduct of me doing my job, all of the CRM stuff should be done. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, up until now, I've never seen that as a possibility. You know, when I was a rep, what I used to do was be on the road, you know, four days a week, you know, mobile phone, company car and a laptop. And then on the Friday was vigorously type up my notes as best I could about what was going on and basically enter enough for my manager to think that actually I've been busy during the week and I'd actually delivered some value. Um, but ultimately it was was just the number at the end of the month that was, that was critical. Um, the unique position we find ourselves in here at outreach is, um, if compare that, what I was doing, that's all judgment-based data. Uh, it's, it's all my view on what's going on in the opportunity. I'll give you one more example of it. I remember when I was a leader in Oracle, um, I I wrote an opportunity out on three sides of A4, really described it well, everything about it. And I gave it to three reps. And their task was to tell me how much they would put it into the CRM. Well, one is, is there a deal? Yeah. Two is, what value would they put it into the CRM for? And what close date would they put it in? And guess what? I got three answers. From rep number one, they put it in at 50K, and they had it closing this quarter. Rep number two, um, uh, put it in 380 odd thousand dollars, and and had it uh, put in for like 90 days time, which was our average sales cycle. And rep three put it in for three quarters of a million dollars and had it closing on uh, on the last day of April, which is the last day of our financial year. And when I quizzed all three of them about it, Rep number one was under pressure, hadn't closed a lot just needed to sign something get a pilot up and running and needed it to be this quarter. yeah. Rep number two uh, was my solid B player rep you know kind of delivered a number, put the value in at basically max discount yeah. uh, and knew that our average sales cycle was around about 90 days.
0: yeah
1: Rep number three who's super awesome and has now had an amazing career. remember him saying, Tom, I don't get out of bed for less than three quarters of a million dollars. And I'm going to put it at the end of the year. So you don't literally get on my back about it week in and week out and ask me what's going on. <laughs> and, and now you times that by 100 reps. How do I run my business yes. with all of that yeah. judgment? It's it's impossible. You know, as sales leaders, we have to be magicians. Okay, okay. So where outreach is today is. Uh, We're in the unique position that we actually capture the entire conversation every call, every email, every text, interaction, every Zoom meeting, the transcriptions of all of those, uh, and all of the metadata and the sentiment that goes along with it.
0: Yeah,
1: it's we have literally become the general ledger of sales, captured every invoice, every transaction, and Last time I looked, finance were pretty good at being accurate and closing their books and knowing when things happened. And with this telemetry level data, I see uh, a data-led sales industry in the future where uh, why would we even have opportunity stages? There is no need for opportunity stages. That was purely a financial risk model that was because there wasn't good enough data being fed into the platform. Well, if we have that lowest common denominator data, I can just look at the meetings that are happening. Oh, they've just had a scoping meeting, so I'm at scoping stage. Yeah. Well, oh, they've yeah. just had a technical negotiation meeting, so we're now at negotiation stage. The conversation informs
0: the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's basically going to become Formula One, like uh, uh, yeah, and, 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 and look.
1: And look at where that is now. They literally set up a car differently for every corner on the track. Exactly. Because they know how to optimize it. With that data, can you imagine helping a sales rep to optimize every conversation they have based on who they are, who the rep is, their maturity, their skills, uh, who's on the call, how they're performing on the call in the moment, how hundreds of other calls like that have gone in the past. It's really exciting yeah. in terms of augmenting the professionalism that I envisage in the sales in the sales industry.
0: Yeah, that's actually that's that's really really yeah that's that's amazing as you said like never seen it this way like the stages as like a risk model basically, but yeah mm-hmm. I think capturing all this data and making sense of it is the is the next step and uh, I think that's gonna be. Really amazing for sales organizations that are have these kind of tools against the other ones. So, yeah, it's because yeah, it's it's very. I can see the parallel with F one. I love F one, so that's gonna be even better. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I guess when when do we see outreach on the Formula One car on the Formula One garden <laughs> <laughs> I, I do you
1: know? I heard a rumor. I think we might be uh, appearing in a sports stadium in the U.S. at some point. I think we okay. we've got we've got a bit of a niche. Uh, with sports teams in the US, as you know, yeah. as they're looking to sell sponsorships and uh, and VIP packages, and I think there's there's been some arrangement around that. But
0: yeah, hey, I mean, is... I I may have something for Monaco next year, so uh, I can uh, we can discuss about sponsoring for for Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, cool, good. Well, Tom, that was really interesting. I mean, it's it's like really uh, different talks than I get most of the time. Um, I'm curious to know, like. You know, is there any anything you'd like to say about outreach? Are you hiring? What, what's next? Like, use this platform you have to, you know, promote anything. Sure.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so look, we're um, we're constantly hiring. Uh, most of the roles are advertised on LinkedIn. Um, uh, at the moment, we have a particular focus on uh, customer success, tech support. Uh, We'll have another round of sales hiring coming up shortly. We've just finished a a pretty major round on that. Um, Yeah, just watch this space. And um, look, super interested in people coming from, you know, you can't have those kind of left field views on sales without also having uh, a keen eye on left field applicants as well. You know, some of the people we had come into the business, we've got a, you know, we had a professional dancer recently we've had uh just such a huge varied background of people coming in and um long may that continue yeah
0: yeah okay and you said like a uh, good performing sdrs make north of 100k so i think that uh, that says a lot if you're money driven that's a great place to be an sdr and to uh, to really help the future of sales but yeah having uh, you know like different candidates i think is super important and um that uh, that's really good so yeah thanks tom so much for coming on the show that was super interesting and uh yeah good luck with uh, the rest of the year
1: fantastic thanks for having me really enjoyed the chat
0: thanks for listening to this episode if you like what you hear and you want to suggest a topic or a guest you can join the t-shaped sales community it's a 10 euro a month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io/tsc.